Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Bite Size Nutrition Podcast. I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode because it is a conversation with my friend, Alex Marshall. Alex is a nutrition coach. She also has experience in the culinary arts, which is really cool. I'm dying to go out and visit her one day and be able to try some of the food that she makes. She's also a crazy dog lady like me, which we know is fantastic. And we've never actually met in person, but I am convinced that we are internet twins So Alex and I have a really interesting conversation about snacking, about restriction, about the dieting mindset, and how to start practicing unconditional permission to eat. And so I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. Alex and and I tend to think very similarly about a lot of things, and I think you're going to really enjoy hearing us Uh, go over some of the ways that we see some struggles come up with our clients, some of the things that have come up in our own lives. And with that, I'm going to be quiet and let you listen to this awesome episode with my friend, Alex Marshall. I'm really excited because I get to talk to someone that I'm convinced if we were in the same country, we would be like great friends And we're not in the same country and we've actually really only talked a couple of times and I'm already like, you're a badass. Um, And you guys are going to get to hear how cool she is and all of the interesting topics that we're going to talk about, which are related to, but not limited to, uh, nutrition, mindset, body image, might have a little debate over macro counting, you never know. Um, But I am very happy to introduce Alex Marshall and I'm going to let her introduce herself even more because I would butcher it. So go for it. I doubt you would butcher anything, but thank you for the intro. Um, obviously, my name is Alex. I live in Idaho in the United States. Um, do you have a lot of listeners like in Spain or are they like- Yeah, oh. you know what's, I, when I look at, so I go into like my Spotify thing and I see where people listen and it's usually like half Spain and then half like US, UK, other places in the world. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so tons I'm of international the States for the yeah. international people. Um, I have been coaching since I started, I quit my other job, which was property management, like two months before lockdowns happened um, in mm-hmm. 2020. And just kind of, I had been like tiptoeing around coaching. And then my last job was complete chaos. And so I just said, fuck it and quit and was like, I'll figure it out. And then lockdowns happened. And so I was like, I am now forced to figure it out. And um, I have not really looked back since. I love it. I've done group stuff. I've done one-on-one. I've done courses. Like I've done kind of, I've dipped my toes in a lot of different things. And um, I do have one client that I'm, or not really client, someone that I'm mentoring. And so I'm kind of like intrigued by that realm. And yeah, I just, I really try to take that really holistic approach, which is, I like to say that macros or the nutrition piece is really the least interesting part of what I do. Um, because we do talk a lot about mindset blocks and your body image and what's holding you back and all of this other stuff and your stress and your personal, like lifestyle, all of these things that arguably influence your health. Just as much, if not a little bit more than what you're eating. I completely agree with you. I think, you know, anybody that's listened to this podcast for a while kind of knows that a lot of what we talk about here has more to do with the way that you think about food and the way that you think about your body, because that is really what influences like the expression of everything that you do, right? 
And totally. it's so interesting because I think a lot of the time, and I think you would agree with this, is we try to separate them. We try to like put food in a bucket and like exercise in a bucket. And it, it can't really, really be put in different buckets because it's all part of life. And so yeah. I think that when we try to compartmentalize this stuff is when it ends up like causing issues because things end up really out of balance. Yeah. And it's, I, I wish I could remember where I heard this, but it really struck a chord, but it's a principle of like stressing, you stressing yourself out about eating something or not eating something is potentially worse for you than just eating the food in the first place. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's insane how, how crazy people get about like what they're eating and like how much they can just psych themselves out and stress, stress themselves out and make their health worse just by like thinking, like I can think myself into a bad mood. I don't know if that's just me, but like, oh, I think that's all of us. Totally apply like, for food. If you're sitting there having this internal debate for an hour about whether or not you should eat a cookie, and then you end up having 17 of them, right? Instead of just having one or two at the beginning, your mental health is better. Your physical health, like, is no worse for the wear either. And yeah, I don't know. Well, and I don't know if you have you I you probably listen to the Huberman Lab podcast occasion on occasion. Um if you don't, it's a, a guy called Andrew Huberman who is a I think he's a ophthalmologist at Stanford and he has this amazing podcast and he interviews a bunch of really interesting scientists and he had a woman named Aaliyah Crum on his podcast and she was talking about a study. I don't remember if it was her study or if it was a study that someone else did that was looking at the effects of mindset on how you actually digest food. And it was looking at like mindset and beliefs and then the actual physiological digestion of food and your biological reaction to what you eat literally changes depending on what you believe about that food. And Ona is barking in the background. Um, so anybody listening, you probably already know I have a dog, but how fascinating is that, that we literally like if, and the study had to do with, I'm going to butcher this, but I will link the podcast episode in the show notes. The, the experiment had to do with, they told two different groups. So one group was told that a milkshake was like a diet shake. It was like a diet chocolate shake. And then another group was told that it was like an indulgent, you know, high calorie shake. And then they looked at the physiological response to eating it and then also talked about how they felt satisfaction wise. And it turns out that when you believe your food is like a diet food or like, a, you know, a food that isn't indulgent, you actually feel less satisfied after eating the food than you do if you feel like your food is really indulgent. And I just thought like I was listening to that. I was like, oh, my God, we, you're right. Like we psych ourselves out so much when it comes to food. That's crazy. I'm going to, I'm going to have to definitely listen to that one. Um, that's, I feel like that really would have an effect in that like clean eating. Oh, I'm yeah. still like, if someone can explain to me what clean eating, like real, like, <laughs> I mean, I hope you're washing your food. And other than that, I'm lost. <laughs> like, what is, like who dictates whether it's clean or dirty like yeah. I, I just I don't yeah. know but I see that a lot with that clean eating crowd is they're like oh it has to be healthy and one of my pet peeves is 
all of these recipes. <clears throat> I graduated from culinary school. Also, I forgot to like mention that. Yeah, that you didn't say you graduated from culinary school. Yeah. Don't you also have like your BA in nutrition or something? I, I got my bachelor's in food <laughs> and nutrition. I got my psychology minor with that. And then I got an associate's in culinary arts um, and some other certifications. Um, but uh, what was I saying? We were talking about clean, you're talking about clean eating and clean eating recipes and yeah, how they're silly recipes are like healthified all the time. Oh my like God. Skinny whatever and skinny this and healthy. It's like, just, and then you end up eating, and then you end up eating like the whole thing, which like, honestly, so if you're listening to this podcast and you've heard, I think it's episode like 26 and 27, I talk about my issues with food. And one of the things that I used to do is I would try to healthify everything everything. And in healthifying everything, it was sort of like just justification of, and I think this is, this could be really interesting to talk about is how we justify and rationalize our food choices. And so I would justify eating like half a loaf of banana bread or like seven quote unquote paleo brownies or whatever, because in my head it was like, well, they're made with quote unquote clean ingredients. And so I can eat a bunch of them, but you know, and if, and going back to the study that we just talked about is that that actually, I was less satisfied with one brownie, whereas now I had for, I think I had four, like four or five brownies left over from my, my birthday celebration, which are like, were like full fat, butter, chocolate, amazing, amazing, amazing brownies. And I had one of them every maybe four or five days over the course of like a month. And when I think that when we get so hyper-focused on like making food as quote unquote healthy as possible is that we miss the, that big part of the satisfaction factor. And I think, and I want to hear your take on this. And I think that often, yes, we're going to dive into macros. I think that often this is one of the things that happens when people get really stuck, either counting macros or when they get really tied to a certain like diet methodology. Yeah, no, totally. And I fully agree with the whole like justification of that. And like this, I think goes back to the whole food is so much more than just fuel. Like, yes, it's fuel, it's calories in and of itself, but it also is that total source of just enjoyment and happiness. There was a period of time when I was trying to make and perfect my own like protein cookie recipe. Mm -hmm. Have you ever tried to make like protein cookies? Oh, I have tried to make protein everything, Alex. You have no idea. There was one <laughs> point where I was like, so bite-sized pieces actually came from a blog that I had, the worst recipe blog in the world. Please no <laughs> one go look for it. I had, yes, I had a recipe blog called bite-sized pieces and I would try to protein healthify everything. Yeah, I was, <clears throat> I was trying cause I was buying, um, God, I think at the time I was working at the vitamin shop actually. And I think that is was, a throwback. Yeah. I worked at, I worked at our local hospital and the vitamin shop, like at the same time here, actually. Um, I think it was buying those like Lenny and Larry's cookies. Have, have you heard yeah. of those? If anybody that's listening, that's in Europe and doesn't know Lenny and Larry's or anybody that has never like delved too far into like protein bullshit, um, <laughs> Alex just almost spit out her water. Lenny and Larry's cookies are like these giant cookies that if you look, they're these giant, like quote unquote protein cookies. But when you look at the nutrition ingredient or the, the nutrition facts, it's actually like the serving size is half a cookie. Like yeah. no one. Is, oh my God. When it's like, 
it's super misleading too. And I remember I had had a number of them before I realized that. And like half of a cookie is at least two to 300 calories, I think. And, or something. I don't know. I'm going to have to look that up, but it's, um, it's definitely in that range. Yeah. It was a lot. I was like, oh, wow. But I was trying to <clears throat> make those on my own. Cause I love baking. Like I grew up making chocolate chip cookies. Like I know the memory, the recipe by heart, by at this point, but so I was like, I want to just make my own protein cookies. It's such a pain in the ass. You have to have like different yeah. kinds of flour, a specific kind of protein powder. And I tried four different batches probably over the only four yeah right and that that was it I was like this is so dumb like it is not nearly as good as just a regular ass cookie that has the butter and the sugar and the wheat flour casp like and so it's it's one of those instances like like you said you don't have to eat the whole thing and the happiness and the joy and yes the dopamine hit that you get with a regular cookie to me is far better than, yeah. I think, than like this healthified, dry, chewy piece of shit, little excuse of a cookie. So I completely agree with you, but past me would have disagreed with you because past me would have said like, well, I can't control myself around regular cookies because at that point in time, I couldn't control myself around regular cookies because if I had regular cookies around me, I would think about them constantly until I ate way too many of them. And so I think that this is a, is something that a lot of people deal with is like, well, I have to healthify things because I'm going to eat too many of them anyways. And so if I don't healthify it, like I'm just going to be out of control. And then I think a lot of people go, well, then I'm going to put myself on a diet or like make myself track macros because that will make me limit my intake. And I think often what we see is that it doesn't really have the effect that we're looking for. Um, and so I'd love to hear kind of your take on, you know, when, when people kind of go from that side of like, well, I can't control myself around food. So I need to go the strict route. Like, what do you often see people do and what are the issues with that? I think the biggest issue that I see is that just mentality of the restriction and telling yourself you can't have some, it's just like telling a kid they can't have that lollipop. Like they're going to want it more. Oh yeah. And humans are really like, not humans, adults, babies are humans too. Adults are really no different. And the more you tell yourself you can't have this thing. And I think it also ties back in that double-edged sword with what you said earlier with just the satisfaction level. And you end up eating more because you're less satiated and satisfied mm -hmm. by like the healthified version of it. And so it is that total double-edged sword with the restriction and that just feeling of deprivation that we inevitably kind of overindulge in, like we give into it and then we overindulge and then we feel like shit and we feel really guilty. And then the cycle just continues. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the biggest one I see. And that's, that's a big thing I work on with clients too is are those fear foods um and allowing themselves to have that and one of my assistant coaches she she has kind of come full circle she was very very hardcore macros for a while then she dropped all of that went full-fledged intuitive eating did the workbooks did the whole thing and now she's kind of come back around to where she's got both perspectives 
And one of the things she talks about too, she's like, you know, when people say they're like, well, I might just eat the whole pint of ice cream or I might eat the whole box of or the case of Oreos, whatever. And it's like, you might, but that's kind of the first step into learning to trust yourself and your own cues and getting through that. And there's been a number of clients. We did a, not a challenge, but we did a call about fear foods a few months ago in our group and kind of challenged them to buy something or eat something that is one of their fear foods, whether it's chips or ice cream or peanut butter, whatever it may be, and have that and allow themselves to have that. And we had multiple posts of people. We kind of checked in a few weeks later, like, how's it going with the fear foods? Multiple people were like, oh my God, that ice cream is still in my freezer. And I actually forgot about it. Yeah. Or like that, like your brownie story too. Like we had multiple stories like that because once they started to allow themselves that, you know what, I can have this kind of, kind of whenever I want to, cause I'm an adult and I can make those decisions. All of a sudden those cravings, like, and the other side of this is they started eating more food um, and yeah. actually fueling themselves more than a toddler calories. And so that combination of allowing yourself to have foods and, you know, I don't want to say succumb to the cravings, but like acknowledge the cravings and satisfy these cravings. Accept them. And accept them. Yeah. yeah. Instead of just restricting and thinking you're some horrible person for craving some ice cream. Like they, these people just like, they stopped. And so this whole, I think they, going back to psyching themselves out, they think worst case scenario all the time. And that doesn't always happen. Like it's, it, I think it can happen for sure. Like, yeah, you can eat the whole thing of Oreos, but really it, I don't see it that often. I I see the opposite in that they allow themselves it. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, I can actually eat it in moderation. And it was actually like a lot easier than I thought it was. They were just so in their heads about it that they were scared to even try. Oh, I I completely agree with you. It's, it's interesting because like So working with those fear foods and like working on food habituation with, so essentially like food habituation is essentially this idea of like the foods that you have around all the time and don't have any rules around, you probably don't crave a lot. And so like anybody that's listening, I want you to think about a food that you eat every day and you don't like you enjoy it, but you probably don't like daydream about it. And like the reason why you can eat that food every day, or maybe not eat that food some days and not freak out about it is because you're habituated to that food. You don't have rules around that food. But when you start to create rules and regulations and restrictions around something is like that food goes up on a pedestal and that food feels even more exciting than anything else because you've told your, you've essentially told yourself it's more exciting. It's like when your mom told you not to date the bad boy and then all of a sudden you're like running after the bad boy, right? Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And then there's also, so this is something that I learned from one of my Be Well Cartel podcast co-hosts, which is, her name's Holly. Holly, she's been on the podcast. I don't remember what episode, it was episode on time management. And she actually taught me something that, that Tim Ferriss does called fear setting. And so he talks about this thing where it's essentially like you literally look at what is the absolute worst case scenario. And like maybe the worst case, the real worst case scenario is like a week like every day for a week, you eat an entire package of Oreos. Like that is a worst case scenario. And then you kind of look at like, well, okay, if that happens, what are you going to do? But then you also realize that like the real thing that's going to happen is probably somewhere in the middle. And the fact of the matter is like to anyone listening, that's like, well, I just can't trust myself around XYZ food. I want you to know that 
eventually, like sooner rather than later, and probably sooner, it's not going to be that exciting anymore. You're going to be like, I don't want to eat pizza for dinner tonight. I'm sick of eating pizza for dinner tonight. And I think this is where, because I know you and I have like sort of like a Venn diagram of approaches, I feel like, and the way that we approach nutrition with the part in the middle being pretty big. And, and so this is where, when I, when I work with my clients, we focus a lot on mindful eating habits. This really comes in because it, it touches so much on like, how do you feel when you eat this food? What does satisfaction feel like to you in your body? What does hunger feel like to you in your body? And I think working on those tools alongside things like unconditional permission to eat is so powerful because it really is, it comes down to autonomy and having full choice over what it is that you're putting in your body. Yeah. Yeah. There's two, two things that, that I wanted to touch on. One is when you said, I quote, I feel like I can't trust myself around food. Not you personally, but you said that as if you were someone else. I've, I see that all the time. And that's totally, I think one of those self-fulfilling prophecies. Oh yeah. Happens. And it's like, the more you tell yourself, I don't trust myself around this thing, then it's probably going to be hard to change. But what would happen and how would you act if you actually believed that you did trust yourself around those? Oh, I love that. I love that. And like, what would be different then? And how might your approach be different if you felt like you did or that you were neutral around this food, right? Like it doesn't have to be a full-fledged other side of the spectrum, but what is that middle ground? look like and what might you do differently um the other thing escaped me but it was something you talked about at the very very end um unconditional permission to eat perhaps and it was right before that um (laughs) you get two add kids in a room nobody can can remember what they said five seconds ago um i think that's a good one too uh, well, if you are listening to this podcast, you are probably screaming at us right now about <laughs> yeah, right. what I just said. I should have um, written it down too. Uh, hunger and fullness cues, hunger and fullness cues, satisfaction. Ooh, yeah, I think that was it. The other thing in terms of hunger, I think people get so caught up with hunger is a growling stomach. Yes. And they forget about so many other like brain fog, you're tired. Like people are like, I'm tired. Cause I didn't sleep at night. It's like, well, maybe it's cause you had 200 calories for breakfast and yeah, like a hundred calorie snack. And now it's dinner time and you're just sitting on 500 calories. Like, maybe that's why you're tired. And also because you probably slept like shit because you're also not eating enough food. And so, but I think people are just so, like I said, stuck on that hunger is only perceived as a growling stomach, which is not wrong. Obviously that is a sign of hunger, but there's so much more to it that people ignore those signs or they're just not familiar with those signs. And I see this a lot too, with the chronic dieters that I work with is that they don't really have hunger cues anymore. Yeah. Like they're so dampened that they're like, well, I wake up and I'm not hungry. And so I have coffee, which is an appetite suppressant. And then I have a small lunch and then I'm just like, not really hungry after that. And so but if they looked a little closer, they probably were having other signs of hunger that they just weren't aware were signs of hunger. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. And I think it's really interesting, especially on the coffee thing, is that there are, I think if probably if 
if women could hear one thing that we say today, probably just that caffeine is an appetite suppressant and also understanding that I think there's so many women and men too, like not just women, but like so many people in the world that wake up in the morning, down their coffee and start out their morning, super, super stressed out and realize that like that fight or flight response and the coffee is a perfect storm of like making you not realize that you're hungry. And I think that we've also gotten really accustomed to like, maybe not so much in Spain, but I think in the States of this, like, go, 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 especially in the first part of the day. And I think this is where we all, we often see, especially with people that do have this, like, quote unquote, I can't trust myself around food. It's like, those are also often the people that struggle a lot with afternoon and evening snacking. And one of the things, like one of the like, like uh, mountains I will die on is that afternoon and evening snacking is not an afternoon and evening problem. It's a morning problem. Yes. Yep. That's what I was going to say too, is that I see that all the time. People are like, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. And I have this. And the other thing I think that's important too, is I, I kind of am starting to pick up just on the internet, social media, whatever, that after dinner snacks, like I totally have a sweet tooth after dinner. Oh yeah. And I think that's starting to, be, to become like vilified. Mm. And it's like, there's really nothing wrong. With it. I mean, if you're, a, I think there's a difference between a little bit of a sweet treat, like sweet tooth thing after dinner and wanting to eat a whole other ass meal after dinner. Um, I think but I see that all the time where people are like, I'm so hungry at dinner and I could just eat everything at sight. And it's like, well, what do you have for breakfast? What do you yeah. have for lunch? Like, yeah. let's, let's work backwards and like not put so much pressure on dinner to make up the bulk of your like calorie intake for the day. Um, I think a lot of it also has to do with the, with the fact that like, and this is what I see a lot with my clients is that it's not the after dinner snacking that doesn't feel right. It's the fact that it doesn't feel like they made the choice to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is where a lot of people really struggle is like one, they're told that snacking after dinner is a bad thing. And, and then you, I was just going to say too, you add on the whole diet culture of yeah. like, you can't eat after 7 p.m. Or exactly. What? <laughs> yeah, which like doesn't really work in Spain because nobody eats dinner until like 930, <laughs> which so so, I'm in Vienna right now and everybody eats dinner at like six, 630. And I'm like, this is my dream. This is amazing. <laughs> um, but in Spain, I just get made fun of. And, but I think that a lot of it has to do with, it, it like comes back to choice, right? It's like, there's a big difference between saying, I'm going to have my dinner. And then after dinner, I'm going to have a, like some type of treat. And like you using that as a moment to be like, I am present in this moment, enjoying this food or like watching Netflix. And all of a sudden you're like, how did this bowl of popcorn end up on my lap? And so I think that that is the real issue, but it like, it comes from this diet culture is telling me I shouldn't be eating. I shouldn't be eating, you know, sweets, or I shouldn't be eating after a certain time. So I try not to, so that when I do it, it's not a choice. It's like something that I feel like I'm rebelling against myself. And that is kind of like a whole other thing to deal with. Yeah. Oh, totally. And then it's just that mindless eating of, like you said, the Netflix and the distracted scrolling on your phone while you're, you know, you have your hand in candy bowl. On the yeah. Side kind of well, thing. and I'd love to hear your thoughts on, cause lately I've been talking a lot about, and I didn't realize this is like my thing. I didn't realize how many individuals are still really stuck in this mindset of I deserve this food because I had a hard day where it's like at the end of the day, 
it's very much like, this is my reward for having gotten through the day. And I thought that we were like moving past this, but I'm seeing that we are definitely not past this yet. And so how do you see this pop up and like, how, no, I'd actually prefer not, how do you see this pop up? Cause I think we all know kind of how this pops up this like mindset of like, oh, I deserve a donut because I had a hard workout or I deserve a glass of wine because I got through the day or whatever. Like, how do we start addressing that and like shifting that mindset for people? I think, I think for that, I would say just by acknowledging the fact that you are a human and you deserve to eat every day to just exist. Yep. Like, and having to earn food, that's how we definitely get into that restrictive. Oh, we just, <laughs> dog just started. Like, we're, we're like, we're dog, <laughs> so we're dog people over here. So I've been petting Anna this entire time because otherwise she would start bar- or barking. And Alex <laughs> has a corgi and like two other dogs, I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah. apparently one of them has bad gas. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think just going back to, because diet culture, some uh, somewhere this message popped up that you are only allowed or deserve to eat if you have enter, you know, like some kind of ridiculous sentence here, you worked out or you had a hard day or like whatever this qualification is. And that's such bullshit because it's like, you need so many calories and so much food just to exist, just to like keep your organs functioning properly. That like, that should be reason enough to like deserve food. Yeah. Right. Like it seems so arbitrary and simple and just, it's still like, it's always going to be a little bit baffling to me that that is questioned by people like, well, I don't know. That doesn't seem legit that I deserve food to keep my body alive. Surely there must be something more intricate or like deeper about, I didn't move enough or I only had 8,000 steps today instead of 10,000. And so therefore I should not have this extra, like, it's just, it's wild to me. I so know. I can understand this because I personally was stuck in this for a really long time. And the reason I was stuck in this is because personally, I want to shut up quiet now. <laughs> Cause personally, when I was, when I counted macros, so this is something that, you know, we're going to try to not let this podcast go too long, but we're, we're going to have to touch on macros at some point. And so I counted macros. Um, if you're not familiar with, with what counting macros is, it's essentially like calculating using an app or most people use apps these days. Nobody uses pen and paper anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, you're, you're the amount of the grams of protein, grams of carbohydrates and grams of fat. Some people also track fiber. Some people also track nutrients. Most people are tracking like protein, carbs, and fat and maybe fiber anyway. So when I started tracking macros, it definitely became this, like, I need to earn my food partly because I also did the, um, RP strength starvation templates. And this is basically, so basically when I was competing in Olympic weightlifting, I did these templates and and these templates are based for like sports nutrition. And it's this idea of like, you are literally earning the amount of carbs that you can eat. Because if you, if it's a training day, you get more food. If it's a non-training day, you get less food. And it, and that coupled with like tracking my macros got me very much stuck in this mindset of like, if I don't work out today, or if I don't get a certain amount of steps, I don't actually deserve to eat X amount of calories. And so I very much understand this mindset. And I think 
for me to break out of that, I, it really was a lot of like repetition of I deserve to eat just, just for the sake of being alive. And also layered on top of that, it was like, I also can make choices about what I eat every day of the week. And I think for me, that was really big because it used to be like, well, I deserve ice cream on Fridays because I was so good all week. And now it's like, I can eat ice cream whenever I want. So I don't deserve it more on a Monday or on a Friday. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's, I think that same realm of the breakfast foods. Yeah. Once you let go that any food can be a breakfast food, it kind of, it's, I think that same thing, but applied to just overall intake, but yeah, touching on the macros, because I know we're, we're pushing 40 minutes. Um, one of the best or biggest shifts that I see, because I, I typically do use a macro approach, mostly because I do a lot of reverse dieting. And, but we also do a lot of like, I try to bridge that gap between the intuitive eating and the macro. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, this, instead of macros being a rule, which is what I see a lot and why it's, I think, often villainized as being disordered. I think it can be disordered. I think people can take it to that realm 100%. But let's use this more as a guideline to say, okay, we need about this much food. Let's aim for that and make these decisions to try to get close to these numbers. But also, if you end up going over because you're a little bit more hungry that day, like that's okay. If you are a little bit under because whatever happened and you just like weren't really that hungry, that's okay too. And so I think people, once they start letting go of the strictness that macros typically has attached to it, it becomes a lot more flexible mixed with shifting from the mindset of, because I see this a lot, a lot of times the macro tracking happens because people are dieting and they want to lose weight and they want yeah. to restrict. And so they're tracking to make sure that they don't eat too much. We flip that on its ass and say, let's track and make sure we're eating enough food. Yeah. And that simple shift, I've had multiple clients be like, wow, this is a completely different experience with macros that I've had in the past because we're trying to make sure I'm eating enough food and I'm feeling physically all of these benefits because now they're sleeping better. <clears throat> like they have more energy, their digestions, improve. like all of these things are happening physically, mentally because of this shift and because they're actually eating enough food instead of starving themselves on 1200 calories a day for years on end and wondering why they feel like shit. And so I think that's, that's where, and I always tell my clients too, I'm like, this isn't something you have to do forever. Like, let's use it as a tool to physically and visually see like what these meals usually look like that are satisfying and satiating to us. And then let's start practicing that and like, just get a remembrance of what this looks and feels like in your body to eat this much food. And then now let's like actually step away from tracking and like start to trust our own intuition without falling back into this mentality of restriction and like this is too much on my plate um and so we definitely tried to we have a number of clients right now that are actually working on actively they have been tracking for years and they're actively working towards not tracking anymore and starting to trust themselves and their decisions and being more mindful 
um, along the way. So that's, that's kind of the camp I fall in with, with macros. Like I can see both sides of it for sure. It 100%, like I said, can be taken to that disordered realm for sure. And it also can be on the other side of the spectrum too. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think like with many things, it's, it's how you approach it. Right. And I think, you know, similarly, so I tend to use with my clients, um, we use either the balance plate method or we use like hand portions to determine how much they're eating. Just, I have a lot of clients that are like, I don't want to use an app. I don't want to like weigh and measure my food. I don't want to have to deal with a food scale. And while for some, that is an option that, you know, I definitely, I, I would say, I actually don't have any clients right now that use macros, but I have in the past and I'm sure I will again in the future, but it, it's just another way to get a handle on how much food am I eating? Right. Yeah. And I yeah. think, I think that the issue is, is that we often look at it. I, I love what you said earlier about like, we often look at it as like, how little can I eat? And we really need to be looking at it the other way of like, how much do I need to eat? Like, how yeah. can I eat enough to support my body? And I think that this is where, you know, a lot of people will say, well, yeah, but I'm not losing weight and that's my goal. And I would, I would say most people that aren't losing body fat while they're dieting has nothing to do with the fact that they're, that they are like not eating little enough. It's that they are eating, trying to eat so little that they can't actually stick to that. And so this is where I think that when we look at like macros is really helpful for a lot of people to like get the numbers down and like other people do really well at like looking at a plate and being like, okay, I have these components on my plate. I really like to challenge people to like get more color on their plate, like experiment with different protein sources. And I think that this is where is like, you know, whether it's macros or whether it's like hand-eye portions or balance plate or whatever it is, is like, how can we make sure that we are actually giving our bodies enough food to like function on a daily basis? Because I think we've like grown up, especially as millennials have like grown up in this society, where it's like, get your body to be as small as it can at any cost. And it's like, it's, you know, this, I feel like this decade it's macros next decade. It's going to be like something totally different. Like we had like detoxes. Those were a big thing for a while. And like, honestly, when we look at like the point of nutrition, and I think that you'd probably agree with this, like as a nutrition coach, like whether or not you come to me for fat loss, my goal is to improve your health. Yeah. And like, if someone comes to me and they're like, I want to lose body fat. And I'm like, no, like you, you need to work on your health before you even consider pursuing any intentional body or, or mindset. So like if somebody mm-hmm. comes to, to either of us, I'm sure you're on the same page here is like, if anybody comes to either of us and we, we talk to them and we get a feeling for who they are and they're really stuck in this restrictive mindset and they are really on and off in their nutrition. It's like, we need to get you to a point where you're at a consistent baseline before we even consider starting to like aim for intentional fat loss or intentional like body changes in any way, because making tweaks from a baseline is so much easier than trying to like control these like crazy peaks and valleys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have that as a, I guess, disclaimer on like my one-on-one info page where it's like, read this first. Like if weight loss or fat loss is your goal, like we're going to make sure you're actually in a place to do that first. Even if I've had people tell me, they're like, I've been at maintenance for the last six months and I'm ready for a cut. 
And then they start working with me and I look at their stuff and I'm like, mm, it's going to be a little while. Like we still yeah. have all of this like foundational stuff that needs to be worked on. And they, and in my application, I believe, and my intake form it, I have numerous things that's like, how willing are you to like potentially eat more food if you need to like, and delay these certain goals because we're going to be working on um, your health over your aesthetics. That's one of the things I say all the time is in my client handbook, like big letters. It's like, we care about your health more than your aesthetics at this point. Not saying you can never care about aesthetics, but we're going to work on like these foundational things before we worry about shit at the top of the pyramid, yeah. like carb cycling and whatever else. Well, um, I think I was going to say, oh, go ahead. sorry, I was just going to, uh, before it lost my mind, um, going back to the macro thing, like part of the reason I love it and you kind of touched on this is that awareness piece and kind of, I've used it numerous times with some clients to try to, or not to try to successfully get them out of their head a little bit. And cause there's, there was one client I had in particular in the past that every Friday she would have like pizza and cookie night with her family. She had like three young kids. And she would always eat some of the cookie dough because why wouldn't you, right? And she would get so upset and feel so guilty because she was like, I ate so much cookie dough, right? And so we started kind of tracking and she would put it in there as just a generic entry of like five cookies or something like that, right? And, or you know, that had all this, and it, it ended up showing like 600 calories of cookies. Like this was like an every yeah. Friday thing. And she was just like, oh my gosh, I'm just like blowing my macros, quote unquote, and I was like, well, hold on a minute. Like, see if you can, like, I totally advocate for like guesstimate when you need to guesstimate, but sometimes it can be helpful to get an actual like gram weight on something. And so I was like, see if you can just weigh how much cookie dough you're eating. And when she did that, it was actually only like 200 calories worth. Yeah. And I was like, so you are so in your head and beating yourself up about having all these calories. But like, if we look at the data, like data doesn't lie. And that's kind of why I love it too, is, is for that data to get them out of their heads to be like, I feel so fluffy or I, I totally yeah. blew it, like blew it. I ate 5,000 calories. And it's like, well, really? No, you were like kind of right on the money. You're like, right where you need, like, I see no issues with what the data says. And it really helps to get them out of their heads and remove potentially some of that guilt that can happen because they're just like, are believing these stories that they're telling themselves immediately without yeah. even questioning it. Um, and so using it for the awareness of like, oh, that's really what's going on. And I was up here just psyching myself out for no reason. So yeah, I, I think it can be really, really helpful for that. And I think that when it's done sort of correctly. And when people can understand, like, this is not a long-term solution. I think that the, there, I think what, what happens is a lot of people get really tied to like needing to know the numbers. And when they don't know the numbers, they no longer trust themselves. And that is like, oh, that's a hard one. I think one thing that I wanted to say before we kind of like wrap up here, cause it is, it is my dinner time. I'm hungry. Yeah. And Anna, Anna <laughs> yeah. is pissed off at me. She's so yeah. mad at me. Um, is that, so it's interesting because, so what I do with my, a lot of my clients, well, all my clients actually is for at least a while, they do a photo food diary. And mm -hmm. that is a re another really interesting way of, of really like holding someone accountable and actually like looking at 
your plate. And the way that I like to include this is also when I set people up, I like to share them like, look, this is an awareness tool for both of us. This is not a tool for me to judge what you're eating. This is a tool for us to be able to look back over the course of the last week or so and be like, hey, like how many colors do we have on the plate? Like what did our protein sources look like? Like what did our portion sizes look like? And also it serves as a pause for you before you start eating to actually look at your plate, which is like, oh my gosh. Well, it's like the third time you're about to take a picture of something like that little bit of mindfulness of like, oh, this is the third time I've taken a picture of this one snack. Like maybe I should eat a real meal. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I love using pictures too. That's one of my go-tos. And like in, in the macro app we use, there's a feature to hide the calorie, like all the numbers. Oh, I love that. Which is, um, I've used that a few times with people so that I can still see the numbers and be like, yes, like things are good. Or like, wow, you're actually like intake is, is steadily dropping and we need to like start eating more food if you can. Yeah. Um, so I've used that feature and I do love using pictures too. Cause it's like, yeah. Hey, guess what? There's nothing green this whole last week. Like yeah. maybe eat something green this week if you can. So yeah, I love, I love that approach too. Well, Alex, tell people, uh, tell people where they can find you and check you out and see what you've got going on. Yeah, I have a lot of things going on. I have a mini course in the works coming out at the end of the month. I have a little ebook that's in the works and I have another freebie that's going to come out hopefully soon. Um, So you can get all those details. I have a newsletter that I try to send once a week, but that doesn't always happen. Um, It's alexmarshallcoaching.com. Amazing. And then Instagram is alexn, as in Nicole Marshall. Amazing. And I'm sure you'll link these things too, probably, right? Yes, I will. And so Alex, thank you so much for joining us. I like that we both had like dog drama. Yeah, we have twin plants too. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm actually in this apartment in Vienna right now and the girls, so I swapped my apartment with two girls in Vienna. So they're in my like tiny Barcelona apartment and I'm in their like giant apartment and their apartment is like a freaking jungle. It is amazing. And so- me some videos because I really want yeah, to see Yeah, I will. I will send you some <laughs> plant videos, but there are plants everywhere. I was trying to water all of them the other day and I was just like wandering around to the watering can. Like, did I miss any? Um, That's what I do like every day of my life. I'm like, oh God, this one's dying. <laughs> it was great. It was great. Well, I hope that you all enjoyed this podcast. Um, if you are new here, maybe you found me through Alex, please subscribe to the podcast. Um, if you have been around for a while, please subscribe to Alex. And... <laughs> And I will be back with another episode next week. Thank you so much for joining. Your feedback is so awesome. Every time I hear from someone that's listened to the podcast, it just makes me smile. Uh, And if you have not already left a rating or a review, rating on Spotify is really, really easy. You just like tap the stars. You just tap the five stars and there you go. Um, And so thank you for that. Thank you for being here. Alex, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun.